WDBM East Lansing. Welcome to The Sci-Files, an Impact 89 FM series focusing on student research here at Michigan State University. We're your co-hosts Chelsea Boudou and Daniel Puentes. Sea lamprey are parasitic fish that suck the blood out of other fish. They are the top predator of the Great Lakes ecosystem, and they use a spear-like tongue to penetrate the body of their hosts. Today to tell us more about this is Emily Mensch, who actually studies sea lamprey. Emily, may you please tell us more about your research and yourself? Yeah, hi, thanks for having me. I am a master's student in the Department of Fisheries and Wildlife. I'm studying behavioral ecology and chemical ecology in the invasive sea lamprey and how we can apply this knowledge to management and conservation efforts in the Great Lakes ecosystem and beyond. Thanks for joining us today, Emily. My only experience with sea lampreys has been watching them on different television programs or in cartoons, but I'm not too familiar with them. One of the first things I think about is, are sea lampreys native to Michigan or are they an invasive species? Sea lamprey are native to the Atlantic Ocean. There's actually debate as to whether or not they are native to Lake Ontario or not. The first sighting of a sea lamprey in Lake Ontario was in 1835, but they are not native to the rest of the Great Lakes. They invaded around 1919 when the Welland Canal in Niagara Falls was restored, and that allowed access from Lake Ontario into the rest of the lakes. I never actually realized how connected these bodies of water are. Are you studying them only in the local Lake Michigan, or are you also going to maybe like Lake Ontario as well when there isn't a pandemic? All of my research is right off of Lake Huron, but the research has implications for all of the Great Lakes. Gotcha. So you're still working along the Michigan shoreline to perform your research. When it comes to the sea lampreys, are you collecting samples from the actual Lake Huron watershed itself? And is this done maybe along the shoreline itself, or do you go out into maybe more open waters within Lake Huron? Yeah, so the fish we collect are from tributaries off of Lake Huron, um, the Akiak River specifically. There is a dam with a sea lamprey trap where we collect all of our fish. And then my work is in a laboratory which is right on the shore of Lake Huron. So we bring the fish that we trap and we bring them into the laboratory to do our studies. So we collect our fish from a stream off of Lake Huron called the Akiak River. There is a dam with traps next to it. And so we collect our fish from the traps and then we bring those in for laboratory studies, which is what I do. Well, it's good that you have a system in place to capture these fish. Now, whenever you take them to the laboratory, what are you specifically studying with them? Right now, sea lampreys are pretty successfully controlled with the use of lampricides, which is just a lamprey-specific pesticide, which targets larval or baby lamprey. And then there are also barriers and dams, like I mentioned earlier, which stop the sea lamprey during their upstream spawning or mating migration. There are some reasons why those two mechanisms might not be useful anymore. And there's a lot of societal pushback to having pesticides in the water. There is also want to remove dams to reconnect stream habitats. So we need to have new management techniques in place to control this invasive species, which is what I'm studying. Specifically, there is an alarm cue 
which is what happens when a fish is predated upon or bitten or scratched by a predator. They will emit this smell into the water, which other fish can then smell and they'll know that danger is around. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to figure out the chemical components of this alarm cue or the smell that is emitted into the water and then use that as a sea lamprey repellent as a new management technique. Thanks for explaining that situation to us and our audience. You're referring to these sea lamprey pesticides that are being introduced into bodies of water. Do these pesticides have a negative impact on the local community or its inhabitants? The lamprecide is environmentally benign, which means that it doesn't have any adverse effects towards the environment. And it is lamprey specific, so it doesn't have any effects on any other organisms. However, there are five total species of lamprey in the Great Lakes ecosystem. Four of those are native. Two are parasitic, the silver lamprey and the chestnut lamprey, and then two are non-parasitic, which are the American brook lamprey and the northern brook lamprey. And so there are some concerns that these lamprecides may have negative effects on these native lamprey. So the four lamprey species that I just mentioned are native to the Great Lakes ecosystem, whereas the sea lamprey, which is the species that I study, is invasive. It's good to know that there are also native lamprey as well over here in the Great Lakes. Now, you had mentioned that you're studying this alarm cue. Normally, I think of it like a shark that's sensing blood in the ocean, but I imagine that this is a lot more complex, like maybe it's pheromones or some sort of chemical. Do you have an idea about what this alarm cue entails? This alarm cue is emitted even if there isn't blood in the water. In other fish, not lamprey, when a fish is scratched or harmed by a predator, it is hypothesized or thought that there are these club cells underneath the skin, which are ruptured or broken, which release this alarm cue. And it's interesting that you said pheromone because this is very similar to a pheromone, but there is a difference between pheromones and cues. So pheromones benefit both the sender of the odor and the receiver. So like with a sex pheromone, if a fish is emitting a pheromone, it's attracting mates, which benefits both the sender and the receiver of that odor. But with a cue... If the fish is harmed, it's not benefiting by sending out this odor. Only the receiver of this cue is benefiting. Based on my background in chemistry, I would imagine one of the things that you have to work on in this laboratory is identifying what the structure of this cue molecule must be. How are you isolating these alarm cues in your laboratory, and what technology are you using to identify its structure? I think it's interesting that you said alarm cue molecule. So we're not sure if it is a single molecule or it is likely a mixture of molecules. And you're right that we don't know the compound of this yet. So that's what I am trying to figure out in my lab. The way we do this is we take lamprey skin and we run it through something called a soxlet extraction, which basically separates the fat from the skin. I then, I work with some chemists and I give this extraction to the chemists. So the chemists use a process called HPLC, which is high performance liquid chromatography. And this basically just separates, identifies, and quantifies each component in a mixture. And so then I will get those components of that mixture. I'll run it through a behavioral assay. So I'll basically see if the sea lamprey avoid it or not. 
And if they do avoid it, then the chemist will identify that compound. And then we'll put all of those compounds together to find the most behaviorally reactive compound, which we will then hypothesize is the alarm cue. It's cool that you're working in an interdisciplinary project. I've heard a lot about HPLC and some of the other methods that you were describing, except separating the fat from the skin from the fish because I'm not used to working with fish. In my mind, fish is like a whole nother world, especially because they're living in the water. Whenever they're releasing these compounds, I would imagine that it interacts differently with the water. However, you're isolating it from the fish itself. Do you do any testing of the water, like get any samples of it whenever these lamprey are releasing these alarm cues? That is something that we are working on. So right now we're just doing laboratory testing to see if the fish react to these cues. But we will bring this out into streams. And the chemistry that we are seeing right now in this alarm cue seems to be a lot of chemicals found commonly in nature. So we're not sure how that will be affected differently in the water that we have in the laboratory versus in the streams where there might be a lot of the same similar molecules around. One thing that I've been thinking about throughout the course of this interview is the idea of a sea lamprey predator. I would imagine that a majority of the predators that exist for the invasive sea lamprey are probably out in the Atlantic Ocean. Are there any local predators that are maybe interested in consuming these invasive species? And is that how you're able to tell whether or not they release these alarm cues in our local environment? In the Great Lakes, they do not have any known predators. They are the top predator in the Great Lakes. However, they have a complex life cycle. They are anadromous, which means that they spend part of their life life cycle in the streams and part of them in the lakes or in their native range in the ocean. So when they are larvae or when they're babies, they are in the streams underneath the substrate. They then go through a metamorphosis and travel down the streams into the lakes where they then feed on fish. When they are done feeding and when they're ready to spawn or mate, they travel back up to the streams to find a mate to spawn, and then they will complete their life cycle and die. So during this upstream spawning migration, they do have some shoreline predators like birds or other mammals that might pick them out of the water and eat them. But there is very little literature on that. So it's actually unknown how many predators they do have. And the way that we know that they respond to this alarm cue is researchers noticed that the fish would have this very violent reaction to water that had been holding dead lamprey. So that's how they figured out that they did, in fact, have an alarm cue. Let's say that in the future that you're successful with this project and you're able to isolate the alarm cues from these sea lamprey. Would this affect the native lamprey, or are the alarm cues specific for each species? So the alarm cue is species-specific, although closely related species will have a milder reaction to other species' alarm cues. So like those four native species of, of lamprey that I spoke about earlier, the sea lamprey will react to their alarm cues just in a milder way than to their own species which has implications for conservation. The Pacific lamprey in the Pacific Northwest is an imperiled lamprey species. And so we could potentially use this alarm cue and use the studies with sea lamprey alarm cue to then conserve Pacific lamprey in the Pacific Northwest. 
It's great that these interspecies connections are being developed and understood by the scientists that are examining these sea lampreys. Another component of your research that I've been thinking about is the interaction that will take place between your laboratory and the local community that is connected to the water. What strategies does your laboratory have planned to engage with the community? And has there been any work that's started on that so far? There has not been any work started on that so far, although the alarm cue is a natural odor that is emitted by many fish, including the sea lamprey, naturally throughout fish's life cycles. So introducing this alarm cue into the rivers and into the natural ecosystems really wouldn't have any detriment to local fish populations, we believe. Danny brings up a good point that it's really important to involve the local community. I am wondering, though, about this regulation process. Again, let's say that you're successful with this project. What are the kind of procedures that you would need to go through to be able to incorporate this into the community? For example, would those procedures involve you then connecting with the community and seeing how like the local fishermen may feel about it? Yeah, definitely. And there are procedures that we will need to go through in order to use this as a repellent as we want to. One of those is FIFRA, or the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act, which basically states that we need to know the full chemistry of a substance in order to be putting it into the water, which is one of the reasons why it's so important that we know the chemistry before we use it as a repellent. And in terms of local perceptions about this, Part of the reason why we're doing this work is to aid the local communities who don't want pesticides, who don't want dams, to have kind of a different management technique in our toolbox. But that is a great point that, yes, we should absolutely involve the local community with these important decisions. As we reach the end of this interview, I want to bring up something that I know has been a negative stigma for a lot of people in the population, that these sea lamprey are scary. What are some positive things about sea lampreys that people don't know about that offer assistance to managing our ecosystem? Yeah, so that is a great point. People definitely do think sea lamprey are scary, which they are, you know, kind of like vampire fish. So I can understand that. But there is an interesting implication to thinking about eradicating the sea lamprey completely from the ecosystem whereas they now have some important benefits like nutrient cycling. So it's important to keep the sea lamprey population numbers low, but there might be potential implications to full eradication. Yeah, I always used to remember growing up freaking out whenever I go swimming in rivers, wondering if I was going to have these slugs just laying on my skin, sucking on my blood. But Luckily, I haven't had any experiences like that, and it didn't ever actually give me a negative stigma towards sea lampreys. Even though it just passed Halloween, I was wondering if you could provide any recommendations on some interesting movies that revolve around parasites. There is a fantastic horror movie about sea lamprey called Blood Lake that I would highly recommend for anyone to watch. Well, it does sort of perpetuate a negative stigma against sea lamprey, and it is very comical. It is about sea lamprey that invade Charlevoix, and they come up on land and begin attacking the population. So it is very fantastical, not practical in any way, but it is a funny, a funny horror movie to watch. Wow, that's pretty funny that it takes place in Charlevoix. But just to be clear for any of our listeners, sea lamprey are not going to come out of the water and attack us. 
We are not trying to give them a negative stigma. We're just giving you a movie recommendation. In your lab experience working with sea lampreys, have you ever had any lampreys attached to your arm and did it hurt to get them off your arm? The life stage that I study the sea lamprey at are right before maturation. So that means that they actually lose their stomach completely and they are essentially all gonads or sex organs, which is really interesting, but they are not feeding at all. So they have definitely attached to me when I'm picking them up many a time. It doesn't hurt too bad. It might leave a little mark. You just pinch uh, the tip of their head and they'll pop right off. I have attached, I make sure that all of my technicians that I hire know what it feels like to have a lamprey attached to them so that they don't freak out when it happens to them. And we have had lamprey attached to our foreheads too, which is pretty funny. I think that's amazing that you actually put these sea lamprey on the arms of these technicians that are coming in to work with your laboratory. While I personally have never had one, I would never be opposed to putting one on my forehead, for example. But regardless, thank you so much for joining us this morning to talk to us about your very interesting research, Emily. We really do appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. This is really fun. The Sci-Files is hosted by Chelsea Voodoo and Daniel Puentes on Impact 89FM. Thank you to our news director, Taylor Halterman, program director, Amber Konutsky, station manager, Joe Dandrin, and general manager, Jeremy Whiting. The Sci-Files can be found online on scifiles.org and on your favorite podcast directory. If you're an MSU student and want to be featured on Sci-Files, or if you have any questions, you can contact us at scifiles at impact9fm.org. Thanks for listening, and remember, the truth is in the science. <laughs>